Through the years, we've seen a myriad of cooking shows on TV. From MasterChef to Food Safari, Luke Nungan's um, Travels, Jamie's Kitchen, Zumbo's Just Desserts and My Kitchen Rules. And then there's the 1993 Japanese original with its cult following The Iron Chef. Where the heat is on, it will be with, uh, it, with all its pageantry and all its humour, with at times quite interesting voiceovers as well. Never without theatre, in these shows we will often find occasions where, where the wheels will fall off the preparations and we wonder how will the cook work out? Can they salvage it or will it be an epic fail? Today, we discover in Cana a celebration that teetered on the brink of humiliation if it was not for a bold request and a generous save. Let me pray. Jesus, as we spend time in your word again today, Lord, we ask that you would enliven it, that you would bring it to life for us. But more than that, Holy Spirit, would you be at work in us, that you would speak to us, that you would reveal your truths to us through your word and your movement and your brooding over us today. Amen. Well, the evening sun sets and a new day has begun in John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Anticipation for the betrothed couple culminates in their wedding day um, as it commences. Sometime earlier, parents got together and commitments of one family's um, son and another's daughter was arranged. The engagement commitment sets the formalities in place and now, sometime later, the wedding day arrives. Celebrations for the newlywed could go on for anything up to a week. And while the guests would bring gifts and supplies for the celebration, the responsibilities for ensuring that there was enough rested, with the firm, rested firmly with the groom and his family. Cana was a buzz. And the community was all a part of it. Family and friends from afar descended on the town that rested in the hills west of the Sea of Galilee. Between birth and death, the most significant event in a person's life was marriage and everyone was up for the celebration. Mary, who we can assume was a widow by now, was invited to the wedding and it was not a stretch to suggest that also along with her was Jesus and her other boys who were probably in attendance as well. At this wedding celebration, Jesus held no pride of place at the wedding. He was there as a part of Joseph's family. And as a rabbi, where a rabbi goes, the students are sure to follow. After all, wedding celebration, the more the merrier. We don't know when the discovery came. Day one, day two, maybe skip a few. 
But the murmur rippled out of earshot of the master of ceremonies and the bride and groom. The MC was probably providing his next riddle to amuse and bemuse the, gift, the guests, as MCs would often do at wedding celebrations. But the whisper reached Mary, who turns to her eldest son. They have no more wine. A statement of fact, but also a statement of hope. While others may have invited Jesus as just another guest, Mary believed Jesus could do something, even if she didn't know how. After all, reputations were on the line. Mary's compassionate heart wanted to save the groom from any potential embarrassment and the shame that would stick with him well after the wedding celebrations had ended. But as just another guest, what has this to do with Jesus? And while Mary was and would remain Jesus' mother to the final days, a shift in relationship was noted in John's retelling of this account. Dear woman, no longer a boy, but an adult. No longer a boy bound by a mother's bidding. For Jesus, his responsibility lay with his father in heaven. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. Not a response of oblivion um, or ambivalence, but rather an observation. My time has not yet come. This celebration should not be eclipsed by my revelation. But Mary, as much as only a much-loved mother can get away with, Mary turns not to Jesus, but to the, the, the servants, dreading the thought of breaking the news to the groom or the MC. Mary turns to the servants, but ensures that Jesus can also hear what she has to say. She speaks to the servants with confidence, the confidence that she has in her son. Do whatever he tells you. Mary doesn't have the power to force Jesus' hand, but she draws on the depth of love in a relationship between a mother and a son. Now, Jesus, before he sat down at the wedding celebrations, would have passed by the large stone jars and washed up before eating or returning to eat at the meal. While clay jars could carry water, their porous nature was believed to absorb the impurities that might be there. And so while clay was okay for some things, cleansing was not one of them. Only a stone jar carved out would both hold water but also remain untainted and therefore fit for ceremonial washing. Not one not two, but six stone jars stood off to one side, each one able to hold around 100 litres of water. So Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And so off they go, drawing water and topping up some more than others. While water was there often used to dilute strong wine, 
Wasn't Jesus forgetting what we actually needed? We needed the wine first, before the water. With observance and also a level of confusion, the servants obey and respond. They then return their task complete. Now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. Whether it was to have the MC taste it and, and see what it was like before serving, or maybe it was just a, a good ploy to stop him from launching into another one of his riddles, one cannot be sure. But as he drank, his eyes grew wide as the wine flowed over his tongue and danced on its taste. Hang on, this isn't right. This is not the way it should be. Calling the bridegroom over with a mix of confusion and questioning. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then, when everyone's had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you've kept the best until now. Now, the term a lot to drink has less to do with the level of intoxication, but more an acknowledgement that over time, and as the palate gets more and more alcohol or, or wine and food on it, it becomes less attuned to the taste. And unless you work hard to cleanse the palate, the taste buds over the course of the celebration, flavours merge and mingle and can easily become a blur. The best of the best came at an unexpected time and in an unexpected way. While the MC and guests were largely unaware of the sign that happened that day, there were a few who knew the origins of the best of the best wine which came their way. It flowed long and it flowed well. With around 600 litres, or in today's terms, around 800 bottles of good quality red wine. Not the stuff that comes in a box with a plastic tap at the bottom. The servants would have had enough in those six stone jars with the equivalent of around 6,000 standard glasses of wine, some $20,000 worth of the drop, the best drop. To be a disciple was to listen, to watch, and to learn from your master. And while in the past others witnessed and bore witness to who Jesus was, at the wedding celebration, Jesus' actions revealed something about himself, as John records. This sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. The significance of this statement can be lost on the casual observer. This sign, while other writers emphasise the miraculous um, that Jesus performs, John wants to emphasise the sign and to have the reader in no doubt that this was a sign. And as signs, signs do two things. It draws on the rich 
and confirms the history of the, and the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises of the one that would come like Moses, who in Exodus 3.12 and in Exodus 4.1-9, where God gives Moses a sign, a sign to verify who he is and that God had sent Moses to rescue his people. And just as God promised through Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 to 16, that Jesus was the fulfilment of a sign as well. The sign, it draws on the rich history and confirms the fulfilment of the Old Testament prophecies, promises, but it also reveals or points out someone or something. For the first disciples, this sign revealed Jesus' glory. The reference here goes back to God's glory appearing in the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. When you read back over John chapter 1, verse 14, John made a statement. He made a, a substantial claim and he substantiates that now. John says, So the word became human and made his home and tabernacled among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And now, this sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And the disciples believed in him. With a progressive revelation comes progressive belief as layer over layer of the pearl is success, successfully and successively laid down. And isn't that the way it should be? The more time you spend in relationship with Jesus, the more we should believe in him and allow that belief in him to change the way that we live, the way we live life for the better. John concludes his account. After the wedding, he, Jesus, went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers and his disciples. Capernaum would become the home base of Jesus during the next three years of his ministry, from his baptism through to the time of his resurrection. So it was in just another small country town called Cana of Galilee. At just another wedding, there was just another guest. But not only does this account look back to the past, but it also speaks of a promised future. In the Bible reading um, that Anna read for us earlier, we heard God speak words of promise through Isaiah. In Isaiah Chapter 25, verse 6, we read, In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There he will remove the, the cloud of gloom and the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. The Sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. 
and he will remove forever all the insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. And through Jesus, it is a promise for our future as well. Jesus could have filled one stone jar full of wine. A hundred litres would have been great wine to have at a wedding celebration. But the generosity of Jesus is providing an abundance. 6,000 glasses worth of wine. And not just the cheap stuff. The best stuff at a wedding celebration. Also hinting at a future wedding celebration that is to come for Jesus and his church, the bride. You know, central to the heart of God is a heart of generosity. Not of wastefulness, but a a, a generosity of abundance and of fullness. And for us today, Jesus wants us to reflect that generosity as well. And not just in the special areas of life, but in the ordinary areas of life too. It was not at some religious feast that Jesus moved with generosity, but at a common day occurrence. And for us today, and over the weeks and months and years ahead, we will be invited to common day events. And today, as followers of Jesus, we are invited to step into those moments with a heart of generosity. Generosity can come with financial acts, but it's wrong to just believe that it's limited to that. I wonder, in what areas of the ordinary will you be invited to in the year to come? A birthday celebration, a wedding, a funeral, a work function or meeting? And I wonder, How might you show the generosity that reflects God's heart? In arriving early to help set up, staying after to help clean up, perhaps in words of encouragement or support, to give of yourself with generosity to others in that way, to to spend time with them, to listen intently to them to listen with compassion and love. But this account also encourages us to be prayerfully and willing to respond in faith, to pray that your actions would also point to Jesus, to reveal as a sign, revealing the glory of Jesus to those you spend time with in the ordinary. After all, Being a follower of Jesus is to to seek to reflect the kingdom of God values in everyday aspects of life. So that in the everyday, God's glory is revealed in and through us. Let me pray. Another day, another wedding. It was a common enough occurrence. It was a part of the rhythms of life. And Jesus, you were just another guest. 
but through your generosity, the generosity of your heart, that wedding day was made better. That wedding celebration was made so much fuller, so much richer because of your presence there. Lord, for us today and for the weeks and months ahead, we will be invited to ordinary things, to a meal with friends, to a work function, to other events, birthday celebrations, weddings, funerals. Lord, would you help us to be mindful of your generosity on those occasions, that we would live our lives with generosity, that we would give of ourselves generously to others. And that as a result of our generosity, that is modelled after your generosity, that we would draw people's attention to you. That we would be used by you as a sign pointing to you. And that you would receive glory in our actions. Amen. So how might we respond today? Well, there's a couple of questions that I have for you. What event or occasion is coming up for you in the coming weeks or months? It might be a birthday celebration, it might be a wedding, it might be something else, it might be a work function, whatever it might be. Are there things that are coming up in your calendar that you can be aware of, that God might be reminding you of right now. Pray about that. Pray for the opportunity to be generous in and through your presence, by the way you live your life, by the way you share your life with others. But also pray for opportunities to point to Jesus and to give glory to God in those occasions as well. I invite you, if you've got those response cards handy or for those at home, to take a moment to respond to what God might be saying to you today. There's going to be some music played and I encourage you to reflect on what God's saying to you today. God bless you. Thank you.